Hello, and welcome back to The PA Way. I'm your host, Allison Callahan. I would like you to join me in a discussion on the most commonly used medications to treat hypertension. Last week, we discussed how to make the diagnosis of hypertension and briefly touched upon the different first-line classes of medications used for monotherapy. I hope you found this information useful and applicable to your practice. We know from our previous discussion that the drug classes used for initial monotherapy include thiazide diuretics, calcium channel blockers, angiotensin receptor blockers, and ACE inhibitors. Today, I want to discuss these in a little bit more detail and also touch upon beta blockers and loop diuretics. For these major drug classes, we'll discuss specific clinical indications for use, mechanism of action, potential side effects, and contraindications. A couple of reminders first. It's hard to predict an individual's response to one drug versus another. You know that our goal in treating hypertension is to reduce cardiovascular risk. The reduction in cardiovascular risk is secondary to the amount of blood pressure reduction and not necessarily directly related to the choice of antihypertensive medication. It's also a good time to mention that if the patient's blood pressure is greater than 20 systolic and 10 diastolic above goal, it is unlikely that monotherapy will get the patient to goal, and patient education should include discussion on how combination therapy can be more efficacious. The initial agent chosen for monotherapy can be increased in four weeks if the patient is not at goal. And after increasing the dose once and a recheck after another four weeks, still does not have the patient at goal, it's time to add a second agent according to the JNC-8 guidelines. But there are also some experts that believe in sequential monotherapy, which means that switching to a different medication from one of the remaining three classes before adding another drug may actually be able to identify a medication that can be effective as monotherapy. The first class of medications to discuss are the thiazide diuretics and the thiazide-like diuretics. First examples of thiazide-like diuretics include chlorthalidone and adibamide. An example of a thiazide diuretic is hydrochlorothiazide. The thiazide-like diuretics tend to be more potent, longer-acting, but can also have an increased risk for hypokalemia and increased glucose tolerance. Both the thiazide diuretics and the thiazide-like diuretics decrease blood volume and blood pressure by increased sodium and water excretion and therefore can lead to significant hyponatremia. They are very low cost and also very effective. This may be a good first-line choice in an elderly patient with osteoporosis who may benefit from the increased calcium reabsorption seen with thiazide diuretics. The thiazide diuretics can also lead to hyperuricemia, hyperglycemia, so you should use caution when prescribing these medications in patients with a history of gout or diabetes. Loop diuretics are also commonly used in the treatment of hypertension, congestive heart failure, and edema. They tend to be the strongest class of diuretics. They also increase excretion of water, sodium, chloride, and potassium. They can lead to significant volume depletion, hypokalemia, hyponatremia, and hypocalcemia. 
And because of the loss of chloride, they can also lead to a hypochloremic metabolic alkalosis. These drugs should not be used in a patient with a sulfa allergy. Next to the ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers. There are similarities between these classes of medications, so we'll discuss them together. Commonly used ACE inhibitors include lisinopril and captopril. Commonly used angiotensin receptor blockers include losartan and valsartan. The ACE inhibitors work by decreasing preload and afterload by decreasing the synthesis of angiotensin II and aldosterone. Angiotensin receptor workers work by blocking the effects of angiotensin II. Angiotensin receptor blockers work by blocking the effects of angiotensin II. Both are known for their renoprotective effect and for increased survival in patients with a prior MI, heart failure, and a history of cerebrovascular disease. You need to watch out for first-dose hypotension. Angioedema can be a potentially fatal drug reaction. Cough is common with ACE inhibitors and can be seen in up to 30% of patients started on an ACE inhibitor. Both classes are contraindicated in pregnancy and can increase serum creatinine. Calcium channel blockers can be separated into two subtypes, the dihydropyridine and the non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers. The dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers include nifedipine and amlodipine. These are potent vasodilators and have little to no effect on cardiac contractility. The non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers include verapamil and diltiazem, which do affect cardiac contractility and conduction, in addition to the vasodilatory effects. They are a good first-line choice in a patient with hypertension and atrial fibrillation, but should not be used in patients with second- or third-degree heart block. Other common side effects include peripheral edema and constipation, especially with verapamil. Beta blockers are not recommended for initial monotherapy. They work by blocking catecholamines like norepinephrine and epinephrine. There are several subtypes of beta blockers that are important to know. There are the cardioselective beta blockers, like atenolol and metoprolol, and the non-cardioselective, which inhibit both beta-1 and beta-2 receptors. An example of a non-cardioselective beta blocker would be propranolol. The third subtype, which blocks beta-1, beta-2, and alpha receptors, are drugs like labetalol and carvedilol. It's important to note that the non-cardioselective beta blockers can act on smooth muscle in the lungs and potentially worsen patients with COPD or asthma. Other common side effects include fatigue, depression, and impotence. They can also mask symptoms of hypoglycemia in diabetic patients. Beta blockers should be avoided in decompensated heart failure, heart block, and patients with sinus bradycardia. That was a lot of information in a really short period of time, and you may have to listen to it several times to help it all sink in. Let's do a rapid review before applying the knowledge to a Rosh review question. Thiazide diuretics and thiazide-like diuretics are a great, inexpensive choice for initial monotherapy, especially in the African-American population. 
They can decrease potassium and sodium and increase uric acid and calcium. They can also increase serum glucose. Lube diuretics tend to be more potent than thiazide diuretics and can also lead to a decrease in potassium, sodium, and unlike the thiazide diuretics, they can decrease calcium. Lube diuretics have been known to significantly decrease blood volume and can also lead to a hypochloremic metabolic alkalosis. ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers are an excellent choice in patients with proteinuric chronic kidney disease and those with a history of cerebrovascular disease or coronary artery disease. They do have some common side effects like hyperkalemia and first-dose hypotension. Cough can be seen in up to 30% of patients on an ACE inhibitor. Warn patients for the potential life-threatening potential for angioedema. Calcium channel blockers are separated into two main classes, the dihydropyridine and the non-dihydropyridine. These medications work by causing peripheral vasodilatation. So a common side effect is peripheral edema. The non-dihydropyridine agents like verapamil and diltiazem affect cardiac contractility. Do not use these medications in patients with heart block. Beta blockers are not a good choice for initial monotherapy. The cardioselective agents like atenolol and metoprolol are safer to use in patients with COPD and asthma as opposed to the non-cardioselective agent like propranolol. Beta blockers can have a significant impact on heart rate and should not be used in a patient with a heart rate of less than 50 beats per minute. Let's apply our knowledge to a ROSH review question. A 45-year-old African-American male presents to clinic for follow-up on an elevated blood pressure discovered at his annual checkup one month ago. His past medical history includes obesity, gout, and kidney stones. He is not currently taking any medications. His wife is a nurse and has been taking his blood pressure. Home blood pressure log reveals readings consistently over 140 over 90. After discussion of appropriate lifestyle modification, which medication would be the best choice for initial monotherapy? A. Hydrochlorothiazide B. Metoprolol C. Amlodipine or D. Furosemide The answer is D. Amlodipine. Although hydrochlorothiazide is a good choice in the African-American population as initial monotherapy, this patient has a history of gout, and thiazide diuretics can lead to hypokalemia, hyponatremia, but also hyperuricemia, which may precipitate a flare of his gout. A calcium channel blocker like amlodipine would be the best alternative in this patient. Loop diuretics like furosemide and beta blockers like metoprolol are not recommended for initial monotherapy. That is the PA way of taking a topic from presentation to application. I appreciate your feedback and I thank you for listening. Our next episode will be in two weeks where we'll discuss hyponatremia. If you have any suggestions for future topics, email me at allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at roshreview.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at the PA Way 2. That's at the PA Way and then the number 2. 